He said to me, you know, it's really hard to know if anything is true. I like it here in uh, Eau Claire, and I'm sure there's crazy people here, but uh, you never know what's true. The conversation had happened just 10 minutes when he came to our house, and when he said those words, I was thinking of this message. So let me explain. All last week, I was waiting for a service person to come to our house, and so um, I waited and waited and waited and uh, worked at home uh, one day on Thursday, called the company a couple times trying to lock in times, and uh, he never came all day on Thursday. Has that happened to you before? So uh, when I told my family, I said, I wasn't a jerk. I wasn't a jerk. I tried to be kind. So when he said I could come back first thing on Friday morning, I said, absolutely, and uh, I'll have coffee for you. So did you bribe him? Who cares? It worked. <laughs> so we had a chance to visit, this service person and I did, and um, as uh, we got to talking, I asked him what he was going to do on this most glorious weekend that you and I have enjoyed. Was it, isn't this phenomenal? Hope that you get out this afternoon and go for a walk. And so he told me what he was do doing this weekend, and then he, I said, well, are you an Eau Claire guy? Have you grown up here? No, no, I came, and he kind of told me a story. He told me a story about his family and his kids. And, and then he made this incredible comment. He said, yeah, you just don't know what's true anymore. How can you know if anything is true? And I said, well, actually, um, I'm going to work really hard this weekend on, compare, on trying to convince 400 people maybe 400 people, that there is something that's always true. Or actually, someone who's always true. So how did the conversation go? Well, keep listening to the sermon, and I'll tell you. God loves us. It was really costly to prove that love. He sent his own son. And that costly gift of grace was for you and I because of our sins. It's a very basic message, but it sets people free. It makes them scratch their head and say, does God know what I'm like? He does. And he sent his one and only begotten son that whoever believes in him will never perish, but have eternal life. Yes, it's a basic truth, but it's a truth that sets people free. It set me free. Has it set you free? Amen? Here's where we're at. We're concluding a series this great series on the book of Hebrews. And more than a New Testament book, it's best seen as a sermon. In fact, Hebrews 13.22 says that this is a brief exhortation of 13 chapters. And so like any good sermon, it's got main points. And the main point of this entire sermon in the book of Hebrews is one of comparison. Thus, our series title. Jesus is greater. Greater than who? And so the writer for the book of Hebrews talks about people. He drops names. Moses and Joshua and Melchizedek. And Jesus is greater than them. And then the writer for the book of Hebrews talks about groups like angels and ideas like covenant and sacrifice and the whole priesthood. Not, not only are there comparisons in this sermon that's written in the book of Hebrews, but there's also warnings now, we've stated this before. The warnings aren't to freak you out or make you afraid, but the warnings are there to simply be caution, to be aware, 
to take note and say, don't go there or be aware of this. And so we get to the book, we, excuse me, we get to the chapter 13, which is the practical part. It's the therefore. It's because all these things are true. We come to this part of the scriptures that are the to-dos. Not in a list, but because of what Christ has done. It's always responsive. And it's done in gratitude. It's done in thankfulness. It's done in humility. It comes with cautions, yes. Absolutely. But this pivot verse in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8, is this idea that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The word same there is an intensive pronoun. It's almost like the author is, is inviting you to underline the word or capitalize the word. Have you gotten a text before from someone with all capital letters? What are they trying to say? This is important. That's what the author is trying to do. Jesus is the same as he was yesterday when he was part of creation. Right there, Proverbs 8 tells us. And he's the same today as people are coming to Christ and being set free in Christ. And he's the same forever where we will realize his beauty and his glory. The word glory actually has the idea of trying to lift something that's so filled with weight you can't pick it up. It's his glory and power and majesty and beauty. And that will be forever that we will say, wow, wow. So here's where we're going to go this morning. First of all, we're going to take a look at this pivot verse and how it compares to teacher, teachers, but also false teaching. It's kind of like false teaching in, in the mirror of who Jesus is. And then the second thing is this uncomfortable reality that we are to endure the same reproach as Christ. And it's kind of a gut check. It's a gut check of do we love the world more than we love Jesus? And how do we, how do we live that or, or live through the power of Christ? How do we live that? How does it play itself out? And then finally, I'll just make an appeal to you at the end of this message to pray for us, to pray for us. That's where we're going to go. I invite you to find a Bible that's close by you. There's one that's in your pew. It's on page 1042. We're on chapter 13. And again, instead of a list, instead of a list, page 1042, I'll give you a chance to, uh, um, to find that. We say we respond. It's, uh, it's a response of gratitude and of thankfulness and humility. And so we read in Jesus' name, beginning in verse 7. Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of their life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ, in fact, let's say it again, just in case you have the NIV. Let's read verse 8 together out loud. On your mark, get set, read. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. So don't be carried away by all kinds of strange teachings. Now, different versions use different words there for the word strange. Some use the word variable, various, and we actually get the word for poke, polka, or pocus, I think it is, but we get the word for polka dots. 
with all kinds of different polka dots. Like, boy, that's weird. That's off. That's the idea. Don't be carried away by all kinds of strange teaching. It's good for our hearts to be strengthened by grace, not by eating ceremonial foods, which is of no benefit to those who do so. We have an altar from which those who minister at the table, tabernacle, have no right to eat. The high priest carries the blood of the animals into the most high holy place as a sin offering, but the bodies are burned outside the camp. And so Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through his own blood. Let us then go to him outside the camp, bearing the disgrace he bore. For here we do not have an enduring city, but we're looking for the city that is to come through Jesus. Therefore, let us continually offer God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of the lips that openly profess his name. And don't forget to do good and to share with others for which such sacrifices God is pleased. Have confidence in your leaders. Submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Do this so that their joy will be, their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. Pray for us. Pray for us. We're sure, we are sure that we have a clear conscience and desire to live honestly in every way. I particularly urge you to pray that I may be restored to you soon. This is God's word. It's always true. It's true in this generation. It was true in the last generation. It'll be true for our children that follow and our grandkids to come. And it's God-breathed. It's no ordinary book. That's the word of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a privilege it is to approach your throne and to ask for your help, assistance, and favor. What a gift you have given to us to assemble and worship you. Not every country has that gift. So I pray that you would be near this day to moms and widows in countries that Jesus' followers, husbands and dads, have been arrested and are in prison. Be with those leaders and be with those pastors. Be with missionaries who are in prison because they are enduring the same reproach that you endured. Protect them. Strengthen them and give them grace. Holy Spirit, this morning I would pray that you would open our ears and ignite our hearts this morning. Take what is spoken and set to flame a burning desire within our church to go and tell. To share with those we encounter the beauty and the goodness of how the gospel has transformed and is changing lives. Our lives. Our lives that go two steps ahead and three steps back and stumble here and there. I pray that you would extend your kingdom here on earth through our church for your name and your fame and your glory and your will. That would be done today in these moments, in this week, your will that is done in heaven right now. We love you, Lord. Amen and amen. There's a few things that we can pull away from this text, and I want to share with you one of them. And the first one that I want us to consider is because Jesus is greater False teaching and the same Messiah give clarity. False teaching and the same Messiah. What do we mean by that? Well, as I said, verse 8, verse 8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever, stands as a pivot verse before verse 7 to consider your leaders. It's humbling for me to say that because as the scriptures say, 
I, as a leader, I have to give an account for what I do to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And as the writer for the book of Hebrews says, pray for your leaders. Do that. But this idea of praying, or excuse me, this idea of the sameness of Christ is seen throughout Scripture. It's throughout Scripture. The Old Testament in Malachi chapter 3, verse 10 says this, For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. We see it in the Old Testament. The sameness of God. Jesus said that before Abraham was, I am, in John chapter 8. Basically, Jesus is equating himself with God the Father. And when he made that statement in John chapter 8, they heard what Jesus was saying and they picked up stones to kill him because of what he said. The New Testament says this, Jesus' brother, in James chapter 1, verse 16 and 17, it says this, Do not perceive, my beloved brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. What was true in the Old Testament is true in the New Testament. A different paraphrase, I love to use paraphrases. Sometimes it fills things out. One of them that I enjoy is the Amplified Bible. Maybe you've found encouragement to that. It says the same thing, but it puts it in different words like, ooh, I like that. The Father of lights, the creator and sustainer of heaven, in whom there is no variation, no rising or setting or shadow, cast by his turning, for he is perfect and never changes. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now, there was a, a very smart man by the name of St. Augustine. He's called a church father. He lived in 350 A.D. to about 420 A.D. He was a messy saint. He doesn't have a clean life. He was a mess. But God used him in a powerful way to help articulate the implications of what it meant to be a follower of Jesus. What did they believe? Formally, that's called doctrine. And his work for God's people, followers like you and I, it still impacts us today. He made the following comment about arcing. A young man introduced me to that term last week. He said this, The new in the old is in the old contained. The old is in the new revealed. What does that mean? It means this. Another way of saying it is this. The new testament is in the old testament or covenant contained. The old, Old Testament, is in the New Testament revealed. In other words, in the Old Testament, we see shadows and symbols. But in the New Testament, those shadows and symbols and types are given flesh in the person of Jesus. Some people call this the Christocentricity of the Scriptures. God's always been solid, a foundation, bankable. You can trust him. His promises are true. It's true in the Old Testament. It's true in the New Testament. And they work together. Does that make sense? Now, where are we at today? Do people think that way? Let me introduce you to someone that some of you appreciate. His name is R.C. Sproul. I was introduced to him uh, 35 years ago. I used one of his devotion, their devotional by Ligonier Ministries um, daily. I grow in it. It helps me. I, I 
came to like R.C. Sproul because um, he was compared to Peter Falk in Columbo. Do you remember that show? Any of you remember that show? And sometimes when he would teach, he'd, he'd scratch his head like this, and he had big, messy hair. He didn't smoke cigars like Peter Falk did, but anyways. Um, but I just enjoyed him, and I thought, oh, man, I could enjoy this guy. Well, for about eight years, starting eight years ago, um, Ligonier Ministries, Dr. Sproul has um, passed away, uh, since, but about eight years ago, uh, they started doing a every other year research paper called the stateoftheology.com. If you want to write that down, you can. Stateoftheology.com. What do people believe in the United States? Every two years. They did it with Ligonier Ministries in partnership with Lifeway Research. And uh, the findings that they found were just incredible. And the first question, the first question on the state of theology was this, does God change? Okay? Does God change? As we look at ourselves in the world, it is clear that human beings, along with the rest of creation, undergo frequent changes. But does this principle of change apply to God as well? Here's what they found. Can you read that? The statement is, God learns and adapts to different circumstances. In the U.S., adult findings, 51% of Americans agree with that, that God does change. 32 disagree. In the church, evangelical findings, 48% agree and 43% disagree. Evangelicals being those in church who believe that the Bible is God's word, who believe in a personal relationship with Christ. That makes me stop and think, wait a second, Wait a second, is that a false teaching? That is a false teaching. So what can we do about that? So let me just give you a prompt. Not a guilt bomb, but a prompt. How do we know what is true? How do we know what is true? And you've heard this many times. Read the Word. Know the Word. Study the Word. My youth pastor said to me years ago, Mark your Bible so your Bible marks you. This is my high school Bible. It's been well worn. This is the Bible that I used to do sermons with. I've told you the story before that my dad came to know Christ later in his life, in his mid late 50s, early 60s. And so some of the things that my dad was learning as a, quote, new believer, I had heard years before. And so my dad, I remember when he called me, and he, he liked Chuck Swindoll. Do any of you guys like Chuck Swindoll? Yeah. He said, Kirk, he said, Chuck said something that was really good. He said, if the normal sense makes common sense, look for no other sense. That's really good. And I said, Dad, that's a great hermeneutic. Know the scriptures. Let me just encourage you, not as a guilt bomb, not as a manipulative, but when you come to church, bring your Bible. Bring your Bible and mark it up. Because someday you'll have the opportunity to share the hope that lies within you, and you'll want to know what that verse meant or what it says. Cross-reference. How do we know about what is true? You cross-reference. A good study Bible will give you cross-references and go, now wait a second, wait a second. That seems off. President Joel Eggy, who was the president before Pastor Paul was, gave a message about 10 years ago, and I came across it this week. And it reminded me 
of resting in grace or being strengthened in grace, these three things to go against false teaching. You can write these down. It's in the back of your bulletin. You can fill this out. Rest in this. Be strengthened in this. Be strengthened in the grace. And the first one is this. The atonement is complete. Those verses that we read about the sacrifices happening outside the city, that was all about the atonement, the purchasing and the paying for sin. The atonement is complete. Announcing forgiveness is not. Announcing forgiveness to people is not. I have a good friend who said to me several years ago, he said, Kirk, I confess my sins to him. I shared my heart with him. He looked at me and he spoke a grace word. He said, Jesus is a friend of sinners. Kirk, you qualify to be his friend. This is not false teaching. The atonement is complete. What Jesus said to Talestai, it is finished, is the second thing. Our redemption is finished. That's a victor's cry. Our redemption is finished. Releasing people and ourselves from sin is not. It is daily repentance and confession. And coming to Christ and saying, Lord, I need your mercy. I need your mercy. I need your mercy. Tetalistai was the voice of a victor. In Romans chapter 8, verse 37 says, we are more, there used to be a song like this. You guys would appreciate this. Um, it was from, uh, it was on KTS. I heard it long ago. We are more than conquerors, conquerors, conquerors. Came from Mel Johnson. Do any of you remember that song? Humor me. Thank you. I didn't know what that word conqueror meant. It's literally the word that means super victor. Or in the Greek, it's hyper Nike, like Nike shoes. Wow. This is ongoing. Redemption is finished. And releasing people and ourselves from sin is not. And the final one is this. The enemy is defeated. In the light of the fact that we're on the cusp of Halloween, remember this, the enemy is defeated. Rescuing captives from Satan's terror is not. Years ago, 20 years ago, there was a campaign, what would Jesus do? Remember that? WWJD? It's more accurate to say WDJD. What did Jesus do? He defeated the power of sin and Satan, right? Yeah. So back to this uh, illustration that I shared at the beginning of the, of the message. This young man came to our house. He was a service person and uh, we got to talking, and he looked at me, and he said, when I told him that I was going to try to convince maybe 400 people that there is someone who doesn't change, he looked at me, and I said, I'll, get, I'll tell you, I'll give you three guesses what I do for a living. He said, okay. I said, number one, I'm a professional bodybuilder, and I just pointed to my guns. Nobody ever buys that one. I said, number two, I'm a Hollywood actor, and I do a lot of this daredevil stunts like jumping out of planes and stuff that blows up and those action scenes like that are in Jason Bourne. That's what I do for a living. He said, no, I don't think so. And I said, okay, I'm a Christian pastor. And he said, yeah, it's probably that one. <laughs> I said, it's Jesus. Jesus is the one who doesn't change. 
It doesn't change yesterday. It doesn't change today. It doesn't change forever. I said, I'm banking my life on that. And he proved it. We had an interesting conversation on the rest of the, of the story. But, uh, and I can fill you in with that if you want to know the rest of the story. But remember, these things are true. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ is coming again. And his death and burial and resurrection are true facts that have been verified. And we hold on to that. The writer for the book of Hebrews then goes on to, to encourage us. The second thing is you, he's, he wants us to remember where home is and then to live accordingly. So, some powerful words are, are used by Jesus' brother in James chapter 4, verse 4. He says this. Uncomfortably, he says, you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think Scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us? And there's a gut check here, a reproach of Christ to say, do I enjoy the comforts of this world more than following Jesus and his kingdom. We need to remember where our home is. We're built for another place. We're built for another place. We are to fight for the faith, not an agenda or a desire for approval. Christ's hands were crucified for the religious, the prostitute, the sexually immoral, the criminal, the military man, the discouraged, Cleopas and the doubter Thomas. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 26, reminds us that Moses endured the reproach of Christ. It's always been this way. And through Jesus, we are to live a sacrifice of praise. I know a young man, I won't, his first name is Nathan. You don't know him, but um, I saw Nathan come to Christ set free by the gospel at our Bible camp. And then uh, Nathan worked with YWAM, Youth with a Mission, for a while. And now he's serving refugees in Turkey. And many of those refugees that come from hostile Middle Eastern countries and who are not friendly to our Lord. This Friday, uh, Julie and I support Nathan and his family. He sent an email about a country in the Middle East that has had unbelievable protests. And those people from that country are fleeing to Turkey. And you'll see the reason why I want to read part of his email that he sent. This just came Friday. He says, our friends here have much speculation and uncertainty about what may happen next in their country in the Middle East. There is heavy sorrow about the videos of brutality from their own cities and they're seeing online. At the same time, there may be new opportunities to serve as we have been contacted by those in this country who know a number of believers who have recently fled and are looking for believers in our city here in Turkey. I've heard astonishing reports about the courage of young women who are defying authorities by removing their head coverings, openly criticizing leaders and chanting for freedom. They are inspired by artists who are writing and posting new songs, expressing the people's desire for change. Hebrews 13 Verse 14 and 15 says, For we have no lasting city, 
Nathan writes, but we seek the city that is to come. Through him then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Again and again, we see this idea of a city in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 10. It says this, for he, Abraham, was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. Later in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 15 and 16, it says this, if they had not been thinking, if they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. That's where we belong. Therefore, God is not ashamed to call them their God, for he has prepared a city for them. A city for them. So in the meantime, in the meantime, we do good. Scriptures say that we are to do good. Doing good looks different for different people. Uh, Pastor Brian shared a, uh, come on up, Mark. Uh, Pastor Brian shared an example of a couple different ways that we can do good. We can uh, do good by being a part of the food drive. And uh, we can do good by being a part of Choose Aftercare. And we can do good by practicing something that I'm willing to bet many of you are going to do immediately after the service. This is my friend Mark. We've gotten to know each other. He is a Packer fan, and he wore Packer socks. Oh, and I am uh, a Viking fan, and I wore purple socks, but I wore low so they wouldn't be distracting. <laughs> and so we have enjoyed getting to know each other. I have thoroughly enjoyed getting to know you these last Likewise. couple of years. Likewise. Likewise. Here, let me turn this on for you. Um, and uh, this spring, I shared an example of uh, something that, I, that happened to me. I shared an example of learning a waitress's name by the name of Mandy. And my friend turned in a restaurant and said, Mandy, uh, I'm going to pray for Kirk. It's his birthday. Is there anything we can pray for you for? And that struck a chord with you. That's correct. It did. That struck a chord with you. Absolutely. And, and you've been doing that. And so give us two examples of that, the ones that you shared over the phone this okay. week. Okay. Yeah. They both happened in local restaurants. And um, the server, I just said, we're going to say a prayer now, and we'd like to uh, say a prayer for you if you'd like us to. And uh, the one server, her son is 16, and um, doesn't... He's rebelling against authority, if you can imagine that, his parents no. and the like, and uh, got in a car accident. So she just prayed that uh, he would, you know, come to listen to them, yeah. to their, their good advice. And then the other example I can give is a gentleman over at Olive Garden going to school, fifth year senior, and uh, he wanted us to pray for his health. And so we did, and I also prayed that he would finish school this year. Yeah, that's good. Year senior, so. That's good. It yeah. doesn't always go that way. Well, but Don't great. tell the restaurant. Don't tell the restaurant. No. But that happened this weekend, and you told me about that this morning, so go ahead. Well, we went out Friday night, and the uh, server brought the food, and we asked if we could pray for him, and uh, he said no. First time that's happened. But You know, your story, Mark and I were talking. We were going to get together, but because of our, the service person, that I was waiting on. We couldn't get together. I had to cancel that. And so Mark shares this story. He said, Kirk, I remember what you said. 
And so that was like, wow, people are listening. Cool. <laughs> so the rest of the story about that service person and because of this conversation we had over the phone, um, at the end of our time together, I turned to the service person and I said, listen, um, today I'm going to be working outside and I'm going to be praying for people and my kids. Is there anything I can pray for you for? And uh, the service person turned to me and said, well, I was actually kind of working up the guts to ask you that. And so here's what I just want to throw out. What would it be like if half of us, not in a canned and corny way, but when you went out for a meal, turn to the service person, because the waitress or waitresses usually say, hi, I'm Tammy or I'm Mike. And they usually give you their name, right? What would it be like if just half of us said, we're going to thank the Lord for, we're going to say just a quick prayer. Is there anything that we could pray for you for? The majority of the people will say yes, by the way. And Kirk, we do this to honor the Lord. Absolutely. That's the only reason we do this, not yeah. for our own gain. Right. Yeah. Here's how the passage finishes up in the book of Hebrews. The last part is the part that I would appeal for you. And that is this. It says, pray for us. Pray for us. The writer for the book of Hebrews encourages his writers, readers to pray for the leaders that they have. And so in your bulletin this morning is a uh, praying for pastors and ministry staff. Would I, may I be so bold as to say, would you take a day of the week and just pray for not only me, and Pastor Brian and Pastor Kurt, but our ministry staff as well too, and if you want to add a few things, you can add a f these. You want to write these down? Pray for protection. I think it's there, but pray for protection. Would you? And pray for anointing. What does that mean? The word Messiah actually means anointed one. Pray for anointing. Because when the Lord moves, you cannot stop him. And then pray for this. Pray for wisdom for leaders. These are crazy days. I wrote to someone this week, and I said, these are really challenging but exciting days to serve. And so pray for ministry leaders. Pray for our elders. Pray for them by name. Pray for them for protection. Pray for them for anointing and their call that they have. And pray for wisdom. So you've heard God's word this morning. I tried to preach as clear as I could. Jesus is the same yesterday and today and always. What's he asking you to do? Step of faith by his spirit. Maybe this idea of going to a restaurant is something, or maybe it's to take part in the food drive or, or do what you can. Or maybe it's, you know what? I've been convicted. I need to read the scriptures more. I need to memorize more. My wife has just been a testimony in this last couple months on her tucking away scriptures and memorizing it. Maybe it's one memory verse a week. One memory verse a week. Maybe that's it. Let's pray. Father, uh, thanks for uh, these uh, waitresses and waiters and who we come in contact with. We want to invite you to, to invite and, and to join you for what you're doing in people's lives already. It's nothing special about us. We're not trying to do a program. We want to be in step with your Holy Spirit and give, bear witness to the hope that lies within us. So, Father, 
you're one day closer to returning in changing world history. We're one day closer to seeing you. And I pray that we'll make the most of our time. Release the church. Equip the church. Strengthen the church. Send the church. We are your body. We are your bride. We are the object of your affection. In Christ's holy and precious name, amen.